the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hey, everybody. It is a gorgeous August day here in Pennsylvania. I hope you're enjoying your summer weather wherever you are, unless you're in the Southern Hemisphere, it's not summer weather for you. <laughs> That's true. This is a global podcast. We have to remind ourselves <laughs> of that. That's right. It's it's time for change of season. It is. Wherever it's, we it's, are. We feel that in the air, don't right. we? Right at this time of year, it starts to just a little change in yep. the air that's welcome to me. I don't know. Is it not welcome to you? It's fine. I'm doing great. I can tell you that there was a year where this time of year I started to feel anxious. Uh it made me realize that I had had a really difficult winter the year before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are not a cold weather person. Yeah. I know it's really difficult for you. Uh, no, not I'm that okay. we're having cold weather now, but we're it's not. the hint that it's coming. <laughs> I'm okay. Right? That change Thank of season thing. And I, I love that change of season feel. There's just something late August air. It's just delightful. There's very little humidity right now. And we live in Pennsylvania, which is kind of like a greenhouse most of the summer, thick and humid. But gosh, it's gorgeous. And we had an awesome time recently on a little family getaway. We went to visit some old college friends. Yeah. Uh, Mel and Will, shout out to you. Oh, so good to see you again. We hadn't really connected with them, gosh, for 15 years or more. And we knew them very well when they got engaged and we got engaged and all our friends were getting engaged. And it was really fun to have our kids to have some time with them. They have a a house um, on a lake out in Western Maryland, and we had some time on the lake, and it's just a real fun reconnection. It's It was neat to have just perspective. Having been married, we're coming up on our 25th anniversary this fall. Right. It was neat being able to look back and say, wow, we really have a long history with these people. And this was a certain marker for us to to thank God for the different people in our lives and to reconnect. Absolutely. I just feel like saying it's a joy to get older and to yeah. have more life to look back on yeah. and to see God's hand in. It's a beautiful gift. I love it. Thanks, Wendy. You know, I need to hear that because, and I need to realize that I do feel that. Good. Because <laughs> oftentimes I look at getting older and kind of don't like it so much, but no, there are great joys in oh, that. Oh, yeah. Really special. Anyways. So um, what's going on in to be world. Oh, some interesting news to pass on to everybody. Yeah. A little sad, but uh, exciting. At the same time, the Lord's going to do good things through it. We have this marvelous Congress coming up at the end of October. It was supposed to be in Cleveland. Right. Scott Hahn was coming. George Weigel was coming. A host of other well-known speakers. And good news, bad news. The good news is it's still happening. Good. The bad news is it's not happening in Cleveland. It's happening online mm -hmm. because of COVID. Right. And I guess that's not a surprise, but we were really hoping we could do it live and in person. Not going to happen. The good news here is that now we'll be able to have many, many, many more people participate. We're only going to be able to have about 800 people at the convention center in Cleveland now it's open to a global audience, and everybody who agreed to come and speak are still going to be speaking. Scott Hahn will be there, George Weigel, yours truly, Janet Smith, Matt Frad, many, many other people. It's going to be 
partly live and partly recorded. We're still working out all the details, and you can register for it. The website is tobcongress.com. It will still be the final weekend of October. That'll be October 30th to November 1st. Uh, we'll have that link, tobcongress.com, in the show notes. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a great, great experience. I just wanted to let everybody know it's going to be virtual versus in person. So, Lord, we put that in your hands and we lift up everyone who's suffering from this ongoing pandemic and all the shifting we're having to do in the ministry. We give that all to you, Lord. We know you're going to bring great good from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Our first question is again from Father Daniel. Last podcast, first question was from Father Daniel. I have another question here from, from Father Daniel. The Father same Daniel. Father Daniel? Yes, same what, Father Daniel. Well, what, whoa. I know. What gives him the privilege of getting two <laughs> questions? You must appreciate his questions. <laughs> Good questions, Father Daniel. Thanks. Good questions, Father Daniel. Okay, here we go. <laughs> yes. Um, Father Daniel asks about our, could you share thoughts or experiences about the factors in play when discerning openness to children in marriage? Things like responsibility, God's providence. Uh, different cultural expectations. Sure. This is a actually a much contested question among Catholics, at least certain circles mm -hmm. of Catholics. Um, the Church calls us to openness to life. The general disposition of married couples should be we will have children as the Lord sends them to us unless there are circumstances that indicate otherwise. That should be, I want, I want to hold that out as the general disposition. And I want to observe, and I think we can see this pretty easily, that in the culture we live in today, we have the reverse disposition. I will not have children until and unless I want them. On my terms. Right. I set the conditions. I set the conditions. And so the disposition is not openness to life. The disposition is a kind of closedness unless I want to open it here or there. Mm -hmm. uh, so that said, I think that frames it. Maybe we just begin there by just saying, okay, where is my heart? Am I in that place where there's this general disposition to openness unless circumstances indicate otherwise. And when I say otherwise, I don't mean that now you're closed to life, but that you would then take appropriate steps, never violating God's plan for the marital act, but you would take appropriate steps, namely learning the fertility of your wife's cycle, and I'm uh, speaking as a man, obviously, and learning how to honor that when she's fertile. If you have discerned circumstances are such that you shouldn't be bringing a child into the world, then the responsible thing to do is don't engage in the behavior that brings children into the world. So that's what the church calls us to, that general disposition. Now, to, to, further, um, to bring further light to the question, he's saying, what could some of those circumstances yes. be that a couple is realizing we have circumstances that uh, indicate just reason, that's the language of the catechism, we have a just reason to be avoiding a pregnancy. I remember so well early in our marriage feeling just this is unfamiliar territory to be trying to discern the answer to this question, uh, which is an important question, and we need to discern it together. But I remember sort of wishing 
that more experienced married couples would just tell me. Mm-hmm. How did you decide? Mm-hmm. You know, hey, how come you have you have these children this space apart? Did that just happen, or did you discern it? Why did you discern it? And it's sort of nosy of me to be wondering all those things. But understandable. But it too. was in me because I felt lack of confidence in my own ability or in our ability as a couple to know what to prioritize in our discernment process. And uh, for us, Father Daniel. Um, Certainly, we felt a certain sense of we all, all that we have is provided by God. And um, so we trust that, but we are cautious to abandon ourselves without thinking clearly about what is the likelihood of God providing all that is needed for a child at this time, just given what we can observe about our own circumstances, right. our own health, our own um, needs of our existing children, our own income, all those kinds of questions, we sense that that was still our responsibility not to think it doesn't, none of that matters because God provides. Our sense was that God has provided for us through these ways, and we are meant to look at what we have received already and let that guide our decision. Um also, I think, yes, there are different cultural expectations, and sometimes a couple will encounter another couple or a family that has had a very different outlook on the coming of children into their family, and it can kind of be eye-opening and heart-opening, um, sort of a conversion moment. Um, so I, I think those couples that maybe are less formed by, say, Western culture in this regard, can struggle with the judgment of those who think that's wrong, and yet they can be such a light and a hope for those who, you know, are longing for something more, something more real, something more in touch with the true good and beautiful um, that, that openness to larger family can be for some families. Thanks, Wendy. That's all very helpful stuff. I, I want to read two quotes that I think will affirm what you just said and put our answer in the context of what the church really teaches here. So this is Catechism 2368. This is what the Catechism says. For just reasons, spouses may wish to space the births of their children. It is their duty to make certain that their desire is not motivated by selfishness, but is in conformity with the generosity appropriate to responsible parenthood. That's all the catechism says. Catechism doesn't list a hundred circumstances that would qualify. And this is, this is important because it's putting the decision on the shoulders of the couple. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what John Paul II says here. He says... Uh, he's quoting Gaudium et Spes. He says, The parents themselves and no one else should ultimately make this judgment in the sight of God. And John Paul adds, This point is of particular importance in determining the moral character of responsible fatherhood and motherhood. In other words, as you were saying, and I remember these days where somebody just tell us, somebody just give us the answer. <laughs> right. What we're actually doing there is we're we're wanting not to bear the responsibility Mm-hmm. of making our own decision. We don't want that weight on our own shoulders. Mm. Somebody tell me what to do. Right. And John Paul II is saying, you can't have somebody else make this decision for you. You have to put on, as the expression goes, you have to put on your big boy pants and your big girl pants, and you have to make that decision 
for yourself before the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's essential, he says, to the very character of responsibility. And again, the only guiding light the Catechism gives us is it's our duty to make certain that our desire is not motivated by selfishness. Mm. There it is. So, Father Daniel, that's the that's the proper um, that's the proper response. That's the, what the Church gives us. Mm-hmm. I hope that's helpful to you. Yes, I have a question from Marcella. Hello, Marcella. I just read you teach on studying the Catechism with emphasis on theology of the body. Can you tell me more about that, please? Nope. nope. Next, Next question. question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I just had a memory. Oh, only older people are going to get this. Humor. Ar, ar. <laughs> okay, if you know who, what that's a reference to, you can let us know. Any uh, 70s TV fans out there? Anyway, um, of course, Marcella, happy. I, I guess her question is, maybe I'm reading into it, but it seems to be, what's the relationship between theology of the body and the catechism? And yeah, can I read it that way? Is that That's how I see it. Okay. Okay. Marcella, okay, I I love this, love this, love this, because I never tire of talking about it, to expand people's horizons, to help people understand what the theology of the body is and what it is not. Uh, We we tend to put the theology of the body in this box, and we say, oh, that's that teaching about sex and marriage that John Paul II gave us, and we put it in that chastity box, or we put it in that morality box, or we put it in that Marriage box. Marriage box. That's for married people. And when we do that, we fail to realize not only what John Paul II has given us, but we fail to realize what our faith is. Our faith is a marriage story. Our faith is an invitation to a wedding feast. Theology of the body is not just the title of a bunch of talks that John Paul II gave us on sex and marriage. Theology of the body is the very logic of our faith. Ours is faith in the Word made flesh. Why did the eternal Word, the eternal logos, I like that Greek better, logos, it it means the logic behind everything, the reason behind everything, the purpose behind everything, the beauty behind everything, Why did that purpose and beauty and meaning behind everything take on flesh? To reveal in our flesh the purpose, the meaning, the reason, the logic, the beauty, the mystery behind everything. If you believe in Christmas, if you believe in Christianity, you believe that the body is a theology. (laughs) This is our faith. John Paul II has given us a pair of glasses, if you will, to view the entirety of our faith, the entirety of uh, of what Christianity teaches us about who God is and who we are and why we're here and how we are to live and what our destiny is and how to get there. Uh, Mikhail Waldstein, a dear friend and colleague, in the work of promoting John Paul II's Theology of the Body, he says that the theology of the body is the John Pauline lens for reading the catechism. For reading the catechism. One of my favorite courses to teach for the Theology of the Body Institute 
is the level three, TOB level three. And that's where having gone through level one and level two, uh, it takes two 30 hour courses. So it takes 60 hours of classroom time to go through the catechesis. And at the end of those 60 hours, I tell my students, now you have a pretty decent introduction. Mm. But we come back for TOB3, having had that decent introduction over 60 hours of course time, and we put those glasses on, and in TOB3, we go through the catechism from cover mm -hmm. to cover. And the faith comes alive. It's like the seeds of faith have been planted, and, and if you can picture, remember, that, well, we're talking a lot about the 70s right now, <laughs> that uh, I'm going to give it away, the Mork and Mindy reference earlier. <laughs> And, and now I'm thinking Jiffy Pop. Remember Jiffy oh, Pop sure. when we were kids? Yes. Explain what would happen to those who don't remember Jiffy okay, Pop. Okay, Jiffy Pop is this popcorn that comes in a little, like, mini frying pan. Yeah, that like you a tinfoil thing. Yes. A sturdy tinfoil thing. Right, with a little handle on it. And right. you put it over your stove right. and it, you know, before microwave popcorn. Right, before microwave popcorn. Pop. And you put it on your stove and what would happen to the... Remember the foil? Oh, yeah, it would like kind of rise with the with yeah. the steam and the pressure. Right, right. And you'd hear it inside. You'd, you'd shake it. First, you'd just hear those kernels shaking, and then you'd hear pop, 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 pop. <laughs> so why am I talking about Jiffy Pop? <laughs> it's an image for what happens in TOB3 to the whole faith. The seeds of the faith are, are in the students' hearts, and we come back wearing John Paul's glasses, if you will, and we go through the catechism and it's jiffy pop all week long. The seeds of faith are popping and the faith comes alive. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible tells the story that God wants to marry us. And God wanted this eternal plan to be so plain to us, so obvious to us, that he chiseled an image of it right in our bodies. I, I wonder here if Marcella's talking about uh, a new series that's available and it's something we can put in the show notes if you're interested. The series is called Fulfilled, and it's a look at uh, the first pillar of the catechism, uh, especially the creed. We go through the creed in the final several talks of this series. The first several talks lays the foundation, how the catechism opens with a reflection on desire, our yearning, our ache, our hunger for God. Uh, we talk about what faith is uh, as a response to God's wedding invitation. That's what faith is. Faith is when the bride says yes to God's wedding proposal. That's what faith is. And then we go through the creed, and the creed just comes alive. So that's what the Fulfilled series is all about. I think she's probably referencing that. We'll have a link in the show notes. I hope that's helpful to you, Marcella. Uh, my encouragement to everyone out there take up a deeper study of John Paul II's Theology of the Body, not just to come to understand God's plan for man and woman better, which you certainly will do that, but in coming to understand God's plan for man and woman, what we come to understand is the biblical vision from Genesis to Revelation. And, and I'll just close with this. John Paul II says, we cannot understand what the church is. We cannot understand what our faith is. We can't understand what and who the church is as the bride of Christ, as the sacrament of salvation, as the people of God, unless we understand, this is a direct quote from JP2, unless we understand why we are created male and female and called to fatherhood and to motherhood. 
He says, the great mystery that is Christ and the church does not exist apart from the great mystery of our creation as male and female and the call of the two to become one flesh. The reason we are so confused in the world today about what Christianity is, about what the liturgy is, about what the Eucharist is, about what the priesthood is, about what heaven is, about what hell is, about what purgatory is, about who the Blessed Mother is. Uh, the reason the faith is under such violent attack is because, the put it this way, the reason the faith is really collapsing in the hearts and minds of the modern world is because the foundation has been taken out, which is the truth of our creation as male and female. It's the primordial sacrament. It's the original sign of the divine will and the divine plan for the whole universe. JP2 says, forgive me, I just keep going on and on, but I, I get so excited. Yeah. JP2 says, the truth of man and woman is so expansive that it embraces the universe. It's cosmic. I hope that's helpful for you, Marcella. I don't know, Wendy, if you want to add anything or if I've said enough. You said so many beautiful things and they got us all excited so thank oh, you good i get it I, I how can you not be excited yeah about this stuff it is it is it's the it's the zest of life it's the nectar of existence and i want to i want to suck it all in yes drink it all up we need that and our actually our next question is from someone who's feeling some discouragement so i i hope First of all, that she's heard this last question, but I want to bring up what she's asking. Let's here. do it. Pamela says, I often get deeply despaired and lose hope in humanity when I see all the news about pedophilia, Catholics being advocates of the LGBT movement, my own brothers having premarital relations with their girlfriends, having to plead with them to watch mass on Sundays. It seems as if there are no consequences. And anyhow, God's going to be merciful. So why keep on trying to do God's will? Bless you, Pamela. I can relate to that discouragement, Pamela. Uh, I, I look out at the world and I see where it's going, and it's very, very discouraging. And I'll hold this out to you, Pamela, as I hope some words of encouragement. Uh, I'm thinking of inviting you to pray into the blackness of, and it's crazy that the church has the audacity to call it Good Friday. So isn't that interesting? I was, I was, I'll just say the say say the words I was going to say, and and without interrupting myself, but then I'll comment on it. I, I invite you, Pamela, to pray into the blackness of Good Friday. Isn't that interesting? Blackness of Good Friday. This day that is the, the, the point of utmost concentration of all of history's darkness and evil, that's what that day is. Christ absorbed into his own heart bore in his own body. We cannot imagine it. We can barely, barely conceive of what it would be like, but somehow he bore in his heart and bore in his very body the very 
utmost concentration of all darkness and evil from the beginning of time to the end of time. Christ bore it in his body on the cross. It is the darkest of days. It is the blackest of days. It is the most evil of days. And the church has the audacity to call it Good Friday. Right there is a mystery for you, Pamela, and I, I, I want to make it personal. And I invite you to make it personal. As I invite you to pray into that blackness, know that the despair you feel in your heart, Christ felt. The sins that, that you're, you just listed there, the, the, the scandals that you just listed there, the blindness of people that you listed there, Christ bore all of that on that day of darkness. Here's the good news. That day is the opening, the doorway, the gateway to Sunday. That day of darkness, blackness, is the gateway to Sunday. <laughs> the day of the sun. And the sun comes forth like a bridegroom, Scripture says. Nothing is concealed from its burning heat. Nothing. The world will see, all flesh will see the glory of Sunday. And all our deeds of darkness will come into the light. We are all naked and exposed, Scripture says, before the light of the Lord. So, Pamela, I want to point out something you said that you said, you know, why even continue to follow God's will? He's going to be merciful anyway. Well, what is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is not cheap, and it is possible to dismiss God's mercy. It is possible to harden one's heart so firmly that mercy is no longer received. God is never not merciful. God, in other words, God is always merciful. But we have this thing called freedom, and it is possible with the misuse of our freedom to harden our hearts so severely that the rain of God's mercy can't soak in, if you will. And when our heart cannot receive the mercy of the Lord, that is a quite literally a hellish situation. So the, the possibility of not receiving God's mercy, not opening to God's mercy, is real. So Pamela, I invite you right now to open to God's mercy in your own life, to stay open to God's mercy in your own life, and maybe the Lord is asking you to intercede for those who you see in your own life are not open to God's mercy. Maybe you're being invited to put yourself in the breach and, and open to God's mercy for them, so to speak, through, through interceding for them by offering the pain that you feel for them that can lead to despair. And it's understandable that the pain we see in the the rejection of God's will that is so, so prevalent in the world, that can lead us to despair. But it's meant to lead us to prayer. Don't let it lead you to despair. Let it lead you to prayer. And that prayer becomes an opening of the pain. That prayer becomes a cry of your heart united with the cry of Christ's heart on the cross. It says in the Catechism that on the cross, Christ's cry 
that loud cry that Christ let out on the cross is the summation of the cry of every human heart from the beginning of time to the end of time. It's the, it's the cry of anguish. It's the cry of agony. It's the cry of abandonment. It's that cry that borders on despair. But the very fact that we offer that cry to the Father shows that we still have some faith in him. And so despair is really a loss of, of hope and a loss of faith. But to open that cry to the Father demonstrates that faith and hope are still alive. And the Catechism goes on to say that the proof that that cry of Christ's heart, which is the concentration of every cry of every heart from the beginning of time to the end of time, the proof that it was received by the Father is the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. Sunday, be not afraid to open into the darkest darkness to enter into with Christ, key, key point, with Christ. Do not be afraid to open yourself to the, 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 the darkness that Christ experienced on the cross, but open it with him to the Father, and it will lead you to Sunday, and your heart will be set ablaze. When it is as dark as dark can be, give it three days and watch what happens. Wendy, anything you want to? Yeah, I, I know the Holy Spirit just really has shown up here, and I am thankful. Thank you, Holy Spirit, and for for your openness to share all that. That's really powerful. I just want to pray for each of our listeners, um, for your openness to the Holy Spirit, that I think there's sort of a, a concentration together in, in Pamela's question of several different areas of life where things seem not right. They're not right. And a passion for something to be right is like a deep desire of the heart. Like, I want things to be right, not just because I want, like, to prove something, but because it's for the good of all. And all these things that are not right are painful and discouraging. Um, and so, you know, it may not be those very same issues that Pamela brought up, and it, it may be for some of our listeners, but we all have things in our lives where we see, this isn't right. And I, I just think that's very beautiful to recognize we have a great connection. Christ lives in us, as St. Paul said. Christ lives in me. And those experiences of confronting this isn't right are absolutely summarized in Christ on the cross. Yes. He's facing this is not right. And yet God's mercy is not somehow um, a sign of weakness. It's the power of God yeah. to bring good out of darkness. And, yes. and it takes each heart being open. And so that that recognition, that that inner feeling, this is not right. The Lord knows that feeling more than anyone yes. who walks the earth. Amen. So Preach you are it. close to him in feeling that. You can say to him, Lord, I feel this is not right. And, and sometimes that's a deeply troubling feeling. And it is a call to intercession. It is a call to pray for wisdom about whether we are called to speak speak out about something not being right in our lives, in our family relationships, 
it's all of that. It's it's a connection to Christ and it's a connection to Good Friday. And there's no way we can live through that connection to Good Friday without that hope that you just held out to us of the power of mercy. Yes. The gift of mercy, not simply to sort of let people get away with things, not that at all, but to heal the wounds, to make right something that has not been right. Amen. That's what mercy does. It's such a beautiful insight, Wendy. And I'm reminded of what we were just saying in the previous question that Marcella gave us about how masculinity and femininity illuminate the whole of the faith. And I want to demonstrate that with this point on mercy. There are two words for mercy here that provide the insight. The Latin for mercy is misericordia, and it means a heart that gives itself to those in misery. Think of the image of the divine mercy, of that blood and water flowing from the heart of Christ. Remember who Christ is. He's the bridegroom. What is he giving? He's giving the divine, eternal, immortal seed. It's a, it's a giving. It's a masculine giving. It's the giving of the bridegroom, misericordia, a heart that gives itself to those in misery. We are in misery. Pamela, you, you are feeling that misery. Christ is giving his heart to you in that misery. And then there's the Hebrew word for mercy, rahamim, if I'm saying it correctly, which is very closely related to the word womb in the Hebrew language. And here we see that feminine dimension of mercy. Mercy always gives us the opportunity to be regenerated, to be born anew, to start anew. And and Mary here becomes the mother of mercy. Why is she the mother of mercy? Because she opened perfectly to receive that seed of mercy, that divine eternal seed. She opened virginally to receive it, and she conceived mercy itself when she conceived Christ. She becomes the mother of mercy. So, Pamela, I invite you into that misericordia, and I invite you into that rahamim. Uh, You, through your feminine yes to that bridegroom gift of misericordia, you, you can become a spiritual mother for others, where your prayer, your intercession, your labor pains uh, become for others, those spiritual labor pains, come for, become for others a new birth. Uh, this, is how, this is how redemption is worked out. It's redemption of our bodies, and it's redemption worked out in our bodies. And Pamela, I think you are experiencing what the saints call the prayer of agony. And it is very, very, it's a very uh, treacherous prayer because we can fall into despair. But I'm reminded of the expression, to hope against hope, to hope against hope. When it seems that all hope is lost, continue to hope. Think of what those disciples went through on that blackest of, of days when Christ was their Savior, their, their Redeemer, the one they had followed, the one they thought was there to save the world. It seemed everything was over, but everything was just beginning because they couldn't see the way he needed to save us. Somehow, for some reason, I don't know why, I don't get it, but God is allowing the bride right now, the church, to go through what he went through. The body, if if the church is the body of Christ, we have to remember the body goes the way of the head. The head is being Christ, right? 
and, and marriage being the model of Christ's love for the church. Marriage is now being mocked. It's being spat upon. It's being rejected. It's being scourged. It's being crucified, and it is going to die. But when it is dark as dark can be, give it three days and watch what happens. Somehow the Lord is allowing this degradation of the human body that's going on in the world today, this violent attack on the very meaning of masculinity and femininity. He's allowing it. It's going to die. The body's going to die somehow. The church being the body, she's going to rise. And a great sign will appear in the sky. And that sign will be a pregnant woman. <laughs> this is our faith. This is our faith. Be not afraid. Be not afraid, Pamela. The Lord is up to something. And I think it's called the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. Uh, I'm just going to give you a little reference here. That catechism quote is Catechism 2605 and 2606. I'd look into that uh, on the catechism. We'll have that in the show notes. I'm also going to put in the show notes a link to my a little mini book that I wrote on these themes, What's Going On in the Modern World. And the book is called Eclipse of the Body. And uh, I'll have a link for that as well. It's just a short read, Pamela, but I think it will open your eyes and it will breathe hope into that temptation to despair. Amen. Amen. So Pamela and, and everyone who's been listening to our, our response to Pamela's question, we, we hope and we pray that your hearts will be filled with hope, hope against hope. It is true. Pamela, you are right. We are living through very dark times. But we know that's not the final story. We are invited by Christ to enter with him into that darkness, the darkness of the tomb, with complete confidence that the darkness of that tomb leads to the light of resurrection. This in the final analysis, this is why I'm Catholic, because the church is the locus, the body of Christ is the place where redemption happens. The body of Christ is the place where all the horrors, my horrors, your horrors, the horrors of all of human history, this is where they get transformed into glory. Our sorrow will turn to joy. That is the gift. Thank you, God, for that gift. And everyone out there listening, you are that gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.